Welcome to another episode of Nipe's Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mochero. And on today's episode, we're featuring a story titled Nabasita. We were known as the Trinity. We had played with the word triad, but when we first heard of the word, we didn't quite understand what it meant. Trinity was easy. We had it in mass always, and when we started calling ourselves that, it made many people uncomfortable. We liked that. One of us was named after their father. One of us was the only son in the family. And one of us had a father whom he never met. We were all born in 1973. We went to the same primary school and even shared the same high school at one time. Kilimani, or Kili, was our home. There was nowhere in this hood that was out of bounds for us. The main roads, side roads, and off-roads felt the imprint of either our bikes or our butter sandals. We ventured to the border of Woodley and Kibera. Though Kibera was another world we dared not tread alone. It was too foreign for our cushioned world. Kileleshua was avoided. It seemed stayed, thanks to the government housing that provided a middle-class living to public servants. The other neighboring areas of Valiacade or Caledonia flirted into and out of our radius. And this was mostly thanks to the family visits and later in our lives during the quest for cheap beer. We were Mbiu, Morris, and I. George. I hated my name. Didn't and don't care for it. It offers nothing but commonness. I was sandwiched between siblings and was often off the radar of family and relatives. George made me even more insignificant back then. It added to my low self-esteem. George. I couldn't wait to drop it once I turned 18. I became Nyanje and told my friends that I was not going to carry the name that came from the land of a colonizer. I was Afropolitan even before the word was created. I was named George after my father, who was named after his grandfather, whom I never met. But so were all the other firstborn sons of my uncles and aunts. I was George Wakilimani, because we were perceived to be the poshest relative, and I couldn't be called George or George. There's George Waburu, who is the coolest of us all. Then there's Georgewa Lenardi, or Leonard, Georgewa Frederick, and George Washaleti. George Washaleti, we pitied. He was fatherless, but his mother was fierce, feisty, and fun. We loved her, for she was also our go-to aunt. Counselor, confidant, and comfort all rolled into one. Even Bill and Morris adored her. She became their aunt as well. In fact, Auntie Charlotte is the only person in the world whom I still let get away with calling me George. Her eyes carry a mischievous glint whenever she calls my name, and when our eyes meet, they go into our place of secrets. There are parts of our lives we cannot erase, 
and no number of seasons will make us forget when we moaned, she said once. Like uh, when you had George, I asked. She always let me speak my mind. Like George and other things, she answered. And from then on, I unearthed George for her and her alone. I didn't feel like I disappeared under the name when with her. I'm back in Kilimani, another part of my life that I had buried. It's interesting how life pulls several numbers on you. I never thought I'd leave this place and consequently turn my back on its numerous memories and ghosts. This is where I said goodbye to George. It was here that I also said goodbye to the middle child syndrome and unbeknown to me until my later years that even within the Trinity, I was the middle friend, easily forgotten. Take a left on uh, Marcus Garvey and then look for Kamburu Drive. It will be on your left, said the passenger seated next to me. I knew exactly where I was, I wanted to shout. I could drive here blindfolded for crying out loud. But I'll play the I'm just a taxi driver act. Rose Avenue has changed. This used to be a dusty Nairobi orange Maram road. This was Akina Morris's road. There were more jacaranda trees than roses on this road then. Unfortunately, neither rose nor jacaranda flourish now, but tall office blocks have sprouted on properties that once housed single bungalows or maisonettes or townhouses, as they are called these days. Residential flats now have businesses as their tenants. There aren't any kids anymore on these streets. The only ones being mischievous and unruly on these streets are the matatus, or the public minibuses, or bodabodas, our motorbike taxis. You take directions very well, unlike all the other drivers that I've used recently, said the gentleman. I smirked. I don't think he cared for an answer. He was already peering into his phone and probably happy that he had engaged with me with small talk hoping he had secured a good passenger rating for the taxi app. He was your typical Nairobi upstart. He gets his hair cut weekly, wears manicured nails, and a naked chin. He is a smart dresser. I admired his tan shoes when he stepped into the car. The trousers cased his thick legs and emphasized a distended ass. His plaid shirt stretched at an emerging belly. Ah, he carried a body shape that epitomized Nairobi's success. The Tumbo Nataco Syndrome, I call it. In this business, you profile your business clients perennially. Whom to talk to and whom not to talk to. And uh, you pick up on the women who need attention more than just a ride. Then there are those punters who treat you like a chauffeur. The things new money does to you. I find myself clicking rather loudly. He was new money. Hapa, hapa, he barked. Here at TWR. I stopped in front of the gate. Bless you and uh, goodbye. But you haven't paid me yet, I pointed out. He seemed to be in a rush. I stopped my meter on the app and showed him the fare. 
He quickly flashed out a 500 shilling note and hurriedly opened the door. Keep the change, my brother, as he gave his back to me. He seemed anxious as he headed towards the gate that housed the Christian radio station. As I turned the car, he didn't seem to make any move towards the gate. He just stood there, rummaging through his pockets. I could tell he was stalling. I gave him his piece and um, hastily drove off. I knew his game. This was my hood, remember? Across the road was a nondescript brothel, Number Sita. Interesting, after all these years, it was still there. It had withstood time and still hid its delights. The signboard with the number six besides the gate was new. Number Sita. From my rear-view mirror, I saw the chap cross the road and disappear behind the solid steel black gaze. <laughs> Maybe he'd found his balls. <laughs> number Sita. How it still ruled men. God bless you too, I found myself saying as I broke out into laughter. We're all going in, said Mbiu. No ifs, no buts, but we're going to get but. We stupidly made a pact that this was where the three of us were going to become real men. Circumcision was one thing, but uh, dipping your pen into the inkwell was the more important rite of passage. Nambasita offered the safer option. The hookers at the nearby Gong Hills Hotel were too expensive. We'd have to buy them beer, probably more than once, and then pay for the room. We were high schoolers and living off our parents' pockets. None of us had a house girl attractive enough to seduce, so Nambasita it was. We only had 300 shillings between us. If we were lucky, we might uh, walk out with a blowjob at the very least and still get home in time for dinner. Nana had told us about Nambasita. It was also Nana who taught us about how to appreciate the female form and foreplay. You men learn how to fuck from dogs and seem to be content with that, she quipped once. We were too embarrassed to admit the truth of her words for we had all watched Morris's dogs mate a few years ago. Nana was also the first lesbian we'd met, and we trusted her as she entrusted us with her truth. Who better to teach you about women than a woman? And a lesbian at that. We felt so grown up having her, a lazy as our friend. Nana shaved her head clean weekly, wore men's underwear for she said they were more comfortable, was forever in sweatpants and a t-shirt that was caped by a threadbare jean jacket. And she always, always had a basketball with her. She was a point guard with Poster Panthers basketball team. Nana's feet, hands and tongue were fast. This was how she managed to survive off and on the court. She was beautiful. Chocolate skin that radiated. A toned body baby melon tits and she had the kind of full lips that you'd want to kiss and be kissed by. She wore a toothy smile that revealed an attractive centered gap that parted her teeth. Hamwanya. She whistled like no one we knew and she always had a tune. Nana 
was our lesbian and we were all in awe of her. She was safe, open and kind, just like Auntie Charlotte. I wondered what Nabasita was like now. Were the corridors and rooms still lit with blue and red light? My heart drummed as we walked into Nabasita that afternoon. Neither of us knew what to expect, and yet we had to pretend to be men, something we didn't even know how to be. But we had Dick's newly acquired baritones and money. The lady of the house eyed us up and down and smiled as she welcomed us in. Hey, karibu wanaume wangu, she said. It's like she knew we needed to be addressed as men just to settle our butterflies. We were led into the room that was stuffed with oversized sofas, lingala music from a boombox filled the air, and uh, perched on those sofas were girls and women. Stairs, so seductive and confusing, approached us. Some eyes rolled and chose to ignore us, while other eyes waved their lashes, promising heaven. Well, at least that's what I saw. The trinity was temporarily broken by a mixture of desire and personal confusion. Kila mtu alikuwa anajitetea. I remember each room had a curtain in front of its doors, ensuring the ultimate privacy. Yet the walls bore no secrets, for you could hear grunts and moans as you walked past closed doors. I joked it was a church of sorts because I had God being called on so many times. Masikio pia hayana pazia. I learned that day. Our ears cannot be curtained. I remember how I was led through this labyrinth of pleasure and sin by the hook I'd selected in the lounge. It was her long, brown, slim legs that drew me to her. She sat alone, away from the other women. I was attracted to her even more because she smiled at me. And her eyes called me. She seemed safe. Looking back at that day, I think she picked me. Nana dated a girl who worked at Nambasita. We had never met her. We saw Nana spend evenings and one bob coins at the phone booth outside the Ngong Hills Hotel, chatting with her girl. You could tell if she had been on the phone. She was dribbly with her basketball and all teeth. At 23, she was seven years older than us and still full of dreams and shamed love. Both her and her sister, Betty, received an alliance from their father who lived in America. They hardly spoke of their mother, and we didn't ask. Nana was the first woman we all unknowingly fell in love with. It was strange and uh, not so strange. Unsurprisingly, her ghost always came up whenever I went down on women. She taught us how a woman's body should never be rushed. Tease it. Be adventurous with it. Take time to discover. And heaven, as she called it, will open itself up to you. These are lessons that have since brought me lots of pleasure and caused me too much heartache. My phone beeped, bringing me back to my hustle. I drive towards Woodley Estate, opting to avoid the mayhem that is Ngong Road. Kibira and its corrugated splendor ushered me into more Bougainvillea-lined roads and the dated great bungalows of Woodley. 
it has never lost its simplicity. How it has held up against the encroaching slum and Chinese contractors, one will never know. Maybe it's because most of its residents either worked or had a history with the Nairobi City Council. I call my next panther. Hello, Stesh. This is Nyanje from Taxify. I mean, Uber. I correct myself quickly. I'm on too many applications chasing too little money. Can I get your exact location, please? Despite Woodley being a sensibly planned neighborhood, there were no house numbers. This was no buruburu. As I disconnect the call, I'm impressed by the precision of her directions. Maybe she grew up in this hood too. Her house has a silver Mabati gate. I noticed that it was the only property on the road that was numbered 21. Number Sita to a 21. All in one day. Hmm. Who'd have thought? I smiled. The verdant fence and jacaranda tree dwarfed the corrugated entrance. Woodley still seems to harbor the best of both worlds. Its residents were, I'd like to call, old middle class. Bureaucrats and technocrats who kept the same jobs from college to pension. They were the baby boomers who had a deeper sense of service and witnessed Kenya being birthed. They lived through the swinging 60s, and each of our fathers came from this time. They either owned a Pujo, Renault, VW Beetle, or Fiat. It's the thing you did back then. Sasa, ukapoa. Nipeleke hapo Adams to Sawa, asante. Her mouth bulleted. Adams Arcade Shopping Center was a mere 10-minute walk from where we were. We both knew that, but I said nothing. She's the customer. I'm here to survive. Halafu, tukifika ado na ingia supatu. Dakambili, then utanedusha hapa home. Sita kawia. I didn't believe a word of what she said. I was in for a long wait as she shopped. Stash was your typical Nairobi girl. Life was her mantra. Her life was hers, and so was the life of every man who came her way. She reminded me of Betty, Nana's sister, Morris's secret lover. I only got to discover that they had a thing many years on. Betty was 22. We were 16 when they dated. Morris, <laughs> he was full of secrets, his own and other people's. He was our conscience. Stashia was a full woman. She had the type of body that had been filled with booze and uh, contraceptive pills. Those two, I've gotten to discover, aren't great bedfellows for some women. Her legs made the sweatpants look like tights. And I didn't want to imagine the friction being caused as her thighs heaved and grounded against one another. Okay. She had a Michelin man waist and her tits were voluptuous and her hoodie encased them well. Her weave crowned her head with tresses that cascaded around her face. She was pretty, yet plain. She looked like one of those chicks who was never seen in public without makeup. Mbiu would have liked her too. He liked this African form of beauty. He would often say, 
if you're going to climb a mountain, why not climb Kilimanjaro? Hills have no thrills. He thought of himself as a wordsmith. He was foolish, and he spewed a bravado that I foolishly worshipped. He aped his elder brother in order to hide his poor self-esteem. And we said nothing, and let him be the de facto leader of Trinity. Ukomfit, she complimented me. Unenda Jim? As she asked, her hands were quickly prodding and pawing my biceps. I regretted wearing this polo shirt. Asante, I responded, not wanting to appear rude. Naenda kiasi. Nikujaribu au sio? She chuckled, and I quickly changed the radio station to a Christian one, hoping that it would distract her. She chuckled again. Even Adam needed Steve. Ama, you are gay? She asked. We both laughed. She's witty. I'll give her that, and only that. I noticed her right hand was no longer on me, but on her inner thighs. I was shocked that it could even slip in considering the girth of those thighs. I stilled my gaze forward, focusing on the hawkers and the buyers that lined toy market. Trying to ignore Stesh, I remember how Woodley was once a clean and orderly neighborhood. It had respect then. Now it's a Mitumba second-hand haven with overgrown hedges and lengths of elephant grass. Kuna joto leo, Stesh said, her voice attempting to sound seductive. From the corner of my eye, I could still see her hand massaging her thigh. We both knew that she was not talking about the weather. And I was back at number Sita. How old are you, Kijana? Feeling hot today? Asked the hooker, who stared at me as she placed her calabash-shaped bottom on her bed. Mimi, Sikijana, I said with an added gruffness to my voice and trying to mask my nervousness. She was beautiful, sensual, and carried a seductiveness that quickly birthed a hard-on. I was scared that I'd even come before I'd get to undress. I sat next to her and touched her. Her skin was soft and warm. Her perfume too flowery, and she smelt of pomade. I looked her in the eye, drew towards her, and said nothing. The less I spoke, the better, and I realized that was the only way I'd win her respect. My mouth needed to get to work. I was about to kiss her, but uh, decided against it. I didn't want to appear romantic. I changed tact. I knelt before her and clumsily but forcefully parted her creamy thighs. They were so tender. I quickly saw the surprised look on her face. Her eyes widened. I smiled. A wave of calm settled in, tempering my excitement. A surge of raw teenage power took over. This is what it is to be a man. I thought. Hey, yellow, ni mengi, she started to say. I didn't let her finish her sentence, 
and proceeded to bury myself into her depths, just the way Nana had taught us. God came into our room. Her lack of underwear made things even easier. She became even softer. Nyanji, see you help me with my shopping when we figure home, Stesh asked and removed me from Kilimani past to Kilimani present. Sour, madam, I replied, hoping that by calling her madam she will feel aged and insulted. She looked like she was hitting 30. Steph wouldn't age well, I noted. Poor, super, she said gleefully. I was being poured again by this time. Then the smell came. The ghosts that perfumed Nabasita. Almost an hour after arrival, we met outside Nabasita. Maurice was already seated on the culvert outside TWR. I nodded at Maurice and he smiled back. I sat next to him, silently. Mbiu was the last to emerge. He came to us and immediately passed his index finger under our noses. We inhaled and said nothing. We smiled, seemingly victorious in our quest. No tales were exchanged. We had become men, or so we thought. How that happened, if it happened, only number Sita knew. Our Saturdays would never be the same again. We'll all go back to number Sita, but never again as a pack. We had started building our private worlds. But that day, we all walked off victoriously singing. Ini Kamoses, here comes the hot stepper. Though we only sang na 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 I'd noticed that as we approached the Adams Arcade shopping center, my paws began feeling clammy, and a wave of anxiety crashed into me. It was here. Stesh was no longer interested in me, and I turned attention to her phone, which was more responsive than I was. I dropped her off outside the Tusky supermarket, and we agreed that I'd let her know where I'd park. This arcade was our old stomping ground. It was here we had dates at the Taurus restaurant. We bought our first beers from Tumbo's Bar. There was the corner store that only closed on New Year's Day. The supermarket, the post office, the butchers, the bookstore, the antique store, the Metropole Cinema with its cheap action movies, and the area behind the cinema. The spot. I was back in my once upon a time. The only available parking slots available were taking me back to the one place that I didn't want to go. It was Friday night. We were at Adams. We had enough money between us for a beer each and a few vodka sachets, mini packs as they were known. We weren't happy drinking inside Tumbo's bar with the wazes as the old men were unruly and lecherous towards women in the bar. We stationed ourselves under a lukwa tree that was in the recesses of the parking lot. We shared cigarettes, booze, and laughter. Bu was in full form that day, with another one of his tales, and as always, we were his ready audience. From our vantage point, 
we got an unobstructed view of the walkway that lined the shops. We saw Nana and a girl whom we assumed was her girlfriend. Nana had her trademark rucksack, which probably had her training gear and basketball. That's Nana and uh, Bill didn't finish the sentence. We all knew where we had seen the leggy, slim, curvaceous woman walking beside her. Number Sita. No one said anything. But our silent stares at one another confirmed that we had all bitten from the same food. This was one of those times when eyes can't hold back secrets. Nana walked into Tumbo's alone and to surprise came out with Auntie Charlotte. I ignored the other two. Their body language seemed comfortable with one another. They seemed to be a trinity too. Auntie Charlotte and Nana's girlfriend walked into Tumbo's and Nana walked around the back of the building. She air dribbled as she walked and we all knew she was in her happy place. The back road through Woodley was the shortest way back home for her. The rear of the building was also where a lot of sex took place and where weed was smoked. It was Ado's main spot, but we weren't yet of age to venture there. So we went back to ourselves and let our girl be. But we also noticed Mbiu's elder brother and two other men walk out of Tumbo's and head to the back, probably to smoke weed, we thought. We turned our attention back to Mbiu and his storytelling. Almost 20 minutes later, we saw Nana's basketball roll itself from the back. We had never seen the ball wander by itself. Where was Nana? And why wasn't she coming to pick up her ball? We watched in silence as the ball continued to roll. It stopped along with our hearts. A few minutes later, then Morris's brother and the two other men walked out of the darkness. There was a shiftiness to their walk, and their gait seemed to have a confidence in it. One of them kicked the ball into the darkness violently, and they walked back into tumbos, laughing amongst themselves. Mbiu stood up and walked away from us, heading towards the bus stop. Maurice, I called, hoping that he'd know what to do. I noticed his eyes were glassy. Mbiu, he gave a feeble but sharp shout, and to my surprise, chased after him. I was alone. I found myself running towards Tumbo's and Auntie Charlotte. Safety. I buried Mbiu and Morris after that night. I found myself parked under the same Lukwat tree. There were too many ghosts coming out today. I knew I'd eventually have to drive past the back to exit. I was sweating profusely and breathing heavily. And then I broke down. <laughs> After all these years, and asked my tears for Nana. It was only when I looked up from my steering wheel and through my salted eyes that I noticed the basketball courts behind the building. <laughs> Number Sita was written by yours truly here, Kevin Mwachiro. 
and is featured in the short story anthology Nairobi Noir that is edited by Peter Kimani and published by Akashic Books. Nairobi Noir is part of Akashic Books Noir series that was launched in 2004. You can visit their website akashicbooks.com for more details on titles in the series and their other publications. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. You can follow Nipe Story here on SoundCloud. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter. We are Nipe underscore story. Thank you for all your support, for listening, and please be safe. Nipe Story is a finger piano production. <laughs>